0: That's Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW group void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Blog Talk Radio.
0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart.
2: And welcome here to this latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we've got a very important show to for a lot of nonprofit organizations, and that is uh, focusing on the topic of crowdfunding, how you can be successful. We have one of this country's uh, top experts uh, in this area who's going to be joining us uh, today as our Page 2 expert. As the announcer said, this is a live call-in show, so please feel free to dial 347-324-3080 when we get to our Page 2 expert. You also can uh, join me over in the chat room. I see a few folks over in the chat room now, so you can certainly ask your questions there. Or if you prefer, you can email me your questions today at hart at tedhart.com. As always, here on The Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. I think the biggest news I can possibly share with you um, is uh, a big announcement about next week's show. And to share that, because a lot of effort and work goes into putting this uh, show together, I thought it would be a nice opportunity for us to get a chance to chat a little bit uh, with our producer of the Nonprofit Coach. Diane Peach is joining us live here on the show. Hey, Diane, how are you?
3: Hi, thank you for having me.
2: Yeah, well, it's great to, uh, to actually have you on the show. You're always behind the scenes and calling everyone and getting everything set up, and the show always uh, runs so smoothly uh, because of you. But uh, I asked you to come on and share some information because next week's show is really a blockbuster show. It's one of the biggest shows of the year. And uh, because this puts, uh, takes a lot of effort on your part, uh, I thought I'd uh, let you make the announcement. So uh, what's the big news about the nonprofit coach next week?
3: Well, usually our show runs from 12 to 1 Eastern, uh, but we have changed it for next year or next week to 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 Pacific. On June 16th, we have the launch of the Giving USA Report. Um, they have been a guest on our show for years, and it is the first day that the, that the report is coming out. So um we are very honored to have uh Peter Fissinger, who is the president and chief executive officer, um, for Giving USA and um we're we're very glad to have him on the show again this year. So I hope everyone tunes in, uh, for Eastern One Pacific, um, to get the latest uh report. So it's a huge show.
2: Well, the, the Giving USA report, of course, is the one of the biggest benchmarks reports in philanthropy uh, in the United States. Uh, we're honored and pleased that they have chosen uh, for each of the years that uh, the Nonprofit Coach has been uh, producing the show, uh, that you've been producing the show. Uh, they have uh, reached out to us and they choose to use the Nonprofit Coach uh, as the radio launch pad for the, uh, the Giving USA report. And as you mentioned, uh, this is launch day uh so we can start the countdown clock now 7 days from today uh and uh, as Diane mentioned um to accommodate the very busy schedule uh that they have on launch day since uh, uh this is a, an important show uh from their perspective as well as our perspective uh they uh, they did ask Diane to uh change the time of the show uh so next Tuesday's nonprofit coach will be 4 p.m. eastern 1 p.m. pacific Uh, And, uh, Diane, I can't thank you enough for putting this together. It's going to be another uh, great show. And I'm personally uh, looking forward to hearing all about how philanthropy did uh, last year. Of course, all the data is embargoed uh, until next Tuesday. So, everyone, mark your calendars. Plan on listening. Uh, to the nonprofit coach, 4 p.m. next Tuesday. Uh, Diane, thank you. Great to uh, to have you here on the show. We're we're also, uh, I think it's uh, worth just uh, sharing with everyone that uh, uh, we are winding down uh, the show and getting close to our um, uh, scheduled uh, uh, summer break. Uh, and uh, I think the last show that we have this month uh, is on June 30th. Um, who do we have uh, on the show as the, the wrap-up show for the spring uh, semester, if you will, of Nonprofit Coach and uh, uh, launch us into the, the summer break uh, that will go into early September?
3: I believe we have our, our show's friend, really great friend, Linda Lysakowski, will be coming on our show. Um, she is a regular and she's a great friend of Ted's. So, um, and also, Ted, I wanted to tell you how uh, honored I am to be able to work with you. And we've been working together for several years, and I enjoy uh, I enjoy working for you.
2: Well, it's uh, it, it's a pleasure, and of course you you do it with uh, uh, a very difficult job that you make it seem easy. Uh, so mutual admiration society here on the nonprofit coach, um, but uh, I am thrilled that uh, that that you have chosen uh, to schedule Linda Lysakowski to wrap us up uh, for this early part of 2015 uh, to send us into the summer. I, I think the topic is going to be a really uh, appropriate one for everyone to consider and think about over the summer. That's a different asking styles it's the second edition of the uh, the book asking styles from charity channel press um, and i think that's uh, that's uh, a good book to get and read over the summer uh, but uh, you can start your uh, summer preparation uh, right here on the Nonprofit profit coach and that's uh, again tuesday june 30th uh, that'll be the last show before summer and uh, diane peach producer of the Nonprofit profit coach thank you for joining us today
3: thank you so much
2: All right, take care. Uh, We are now ready to uh, run on over to uh, our page two experts. Make sure we've got lots of time uh, today. So we will be right back. John Murcott joins us here live on The Nonprofit Coach. He is CEO and co-founder of Crowdster. John is a serial tech startup right. entrepreneur. He is passionate about helping brands leverage their most active supporters on social media to generate conversation uh, and uh, conversion to donors. John is founder and CEO, as I mentioned, of Crowdster, which is a leading social engagement software company that converts supporters into promoters. Crowdster has worked with over 1,000 nonprofit organizations uh, to help them succeed online. Prior to founding Crowdster, John co-founded Fatwire Software, an enterprise web content management company in 1996, uh, which had uh, Fortune 500 uh, companies utilizing that service. and But more importantly for us now, he is here live on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, CrowdStir is a platform that is dedicated to the nonprofit sector. And uh, the topic here is, uh, one, I think that, uh, John, is of interest to a great deal of nonprofit organizations. If for no other reason than there's so much written about crowdfunding and I think our job here today is to break that down. What is it? Um, can you be successful? How can you be successful? Uh, and help us understand what Crowdster does. So welcome here again to the nonprofit coach. You've been here on the show before, John Mercott. Hey,
1: tuned, Good to talk with you.
2: So a crowdster um, this is uh, this is an important topic. I think that um, when there is something that's relatively new or nuanced in the utilization of technology, that sometimes can seem confusing uh, to nonprofit organizations where does it fit how do I work it into into my strategy. Uh, so why don't we start off with, if, if you can kind of share with us, uh, what is crowdfunding, how does it work, and then we can break that down into um, the various things that Crowdster does
1: specifically uh, to help your clients. Right. Uh, well, I think the first part to look at it is it's just a new channel. It's a new way to do your fundraising. So a lot of the traditional ways will remain the same. People still do direct mail. People still have – organizations will have a link on their website that says Donate Now. There will be events, uh, major donors. So all of the kind of classic ways that nonprofits are raising money remain the same. But there's a new channel now, this crowdfunding, uh, this crowdsourced channel, where it's not so much about individuals, for example, like a large donor that's giving the money, but it's a distributed effort. It's multiple people that are giving. And you know the word crowd, which is in our name, is a phenomenon that's bigger than just even what nonprofits are doing. And maybe that's the second part, Ted, to your question. Um, there is a phenomenon going on now in technology, in our culture, in our society, where people are relying on the crowd for information. I'll just give one quick example. If I want to see a movie this weekend – and uh, I want to know, is it a good movie? Should I go to see this movie? There's two ways you could go. I could talk. I could uh, read uh, A.O. Scott in the New York Times, an expert, if you will, a single source person who would say, yes, that's a good movie, or no, that's a bad movie. So that's one way to go to find out about the movie. If I wanted to go to the crowd, though, so see what a lot of other people think, people you know more like me, you would go to something like Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic, where you're seeing the results or the opinions or the comments of hundreds, if not thousands of people. So this idea of crowdsourcing, asking questions to the crowd as opposed to one expert or one source, is a bigger phenomenon than just crowdfunding. Uh, of course, we'll focus on crowdfunding today, but I'd be happy to jump into multiple ways this happens. Even when people talk about big data, so the idea of you know how is Google storing all of this information, it's essentially a crowd model. So there's a huge power. You may be familiar with the book, The Wisdom of Crowds. There's a huge power around relying on a crowd to, uh, to help solve problems.
2: So this is, um, this is your community. Uh, this is reaching out to those people who either know you or know people who know you. Um, and through the power of a crowd, uh, or as we've referred to in the past, People to people approach, um, but it's bigger than just one person reaching out to their own friends. It's aggregating information across your community that you've been developing, both online and offline. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. And maybe there's two other additional ways to look at it, uh, as you were saying before, Ted. My background uh, from this other company, Fatwire Software was in the web content management space. So it was essentially like WordPress or Drupal, people that are familiar with those types of content management tools. Uh, that's what we were doing, you know, when the internet was just taking off. And the idea there was, oh, I can build a community Ted, just like you were saying. My website is a place where people that know about my service, they know about my nonprofit, they care about my cause, and they can go and they can give some money or they can download a brochure or they can learn more or sign up for a newsletter. So the idea was like the community, if you will, was restricted to either the people that the nonprofit was communicating with, maybe through an email or through social media, um, or just uh, other people discovering it, like search engine optimization. Whereas now, when you look at crowdfunding, your website, your web presence isn't just about providing that access, which it's still going to remain that way, but it's also a place where, an individual, so someone, a member of this crowd, if you will, can reach out to their network. and this is very powerful for a number of ways, for a number of reasons. First of all, you could think of this person almost like a junior marketing person for your company. They're promoting your company, they're sending emails, they're posting on social media, they're creating content on your site that you were saying peer to peer, you know this idea of a personal page. It's almost like you're giving them a content management permission on your website, you know, with your branding and your look and feel. But they're almost like a small content contributor, like we used to think of, you know, people who log into WordPress and write a blog post. But they're doing it on your behalf, of course. But the second thing is they're communicating with people that the organization doesn't even know. I don't know, for example, Ted, if you were supporting my organization, I don't know all of your Facebook friends and the people you tweet to, et cetera. So it's a huge benefit to the nonprofit. The nonprofit doesn't even know who these people are. So I'm communicating with an entirely new audience, if you will. And I'm doing it, uh, pardon the marketing people that are listening in, but I'm doing it in a way that's probably more effective than if I just gave you the email address of all of my friends and said, hey, why don't you send them an email and tell them about your organization? In many cases, that probably wouldn't work. Because eh, people's inboxes are full, I I don't know this organization might be a good organization, but, you know, I'm just getting this email. However, if I get it from a friend, if I get it from someone I know in their own voice with their personal message, that's much different. And that's really when you start to understand the crowd. And from a, I'm a technology person. When you think of your website not just as a place to download stuff or sign up for a newsletter, but it's a place that you almost become like a small content contributor. You know, you are a marketing person promoting this cause that you care about.
2: So this requires some new skill sets, because I think a lot of nonprofits are certainly used to needing to have a website. I post my content, I post my events, I ask people to buy tickets to my event. But crowdfunding changes all of that and makes your supporters uh, more ambassadors, um, representatives of communities that you don't have direct access to. Um, they're also your reviewers. Uh, and uh, there's an implicit, I think, uh, expectation that if I'm going to participate in this community, I'm not just being lectured at and I'm not just responding in necessarily a pre-described way, uh, but I have some, some rights here, and those rights are I can speak my mind and I can tell people what I think. Um, is that scary for nonprofits to
1: be sort of that open and seemingly vulnerable? Uh, It is. So when I was uh, half-joking before about the approach that marketing people take to this, it is a little scary at first because the classic way to think of marketing is you come up with a super-terrific tagline and some great visuals and graphics, and you spend a lot of time thinking through how do we want to promote ourselves, how do we want to target our message, who is our audience. And that's all valuable. I don't want to downplay that that's still always going to play a role. But this new way of communicating is so much different. It's very informal. It's people talking to their friends. They're not necessarily saying the message about your organization the way you would do it. But in the end, it's just a more effective way of communicating. It is the way that people communicate, especially online, on these various social networks. It's the way that they interact. So from a more formal, if you will, classic marketing approach, it is pretty scary uh, the slight difference is, and, though, you have to go ahead, Ted.
2: Well, I was I was just going to say, you know, in sort of that, that scariness, um, you also have the opportunity to learn from your community in a way that perhaps nonprofits are not quite equipped or prepared to learn those lessons. So that brings some different rules to the road, doesn't it? It, it totally
1: does, and it's also a very different way of thinking about your relationship with the community and especially as it relates to the website. And there's so many examples of this we see in life. You have a terrific producer, maybe it's a salesperson or whatever that role is, and they're just doing an absolutely fabulous, terrific uh, job. And you say, this is great. I'm going to promote this person to manager. So now they're going to manage other people that would do that same thing, sales or marketing or fundraising, whatever else it is. And it doesn't always work. You know, sometimes it's harder to manage other people to do what you were doing before as it is to do it. Of course, everyone has different skills, but you kind of have to look at the way your website functions and the way this crowdfunding world lives, because now it's not so much you came up with the message, you came up with the graphics, you came up with the targeting, and that's what's going to be pushed to the website, and that's it. Now it's more like you're managing an army, if you will, so a small army of people that care about your cause And they're looking for a little direction. They're looking for uh, some support and some tools to let them communicate to their network. And it's a a slightly different skill set. So you're turning your website really into a platform for other people to uh, to leverage. And um, so it's not
2: it's not necessarily it's not necessarily the wild west that it might make people feel like. It's okay to have some community rules. It's okay to provide guidance. Uh, you just don't want to be over uh, heavy-handed uh, or attempt to direct those who are giving of their time uh, and giving of their community.
1: You're right. And it's, uh, you know, maybe the the way you were uh, referring to it, it's like you're encouraging. You're like uh, yeah. encouraging, you're directing, you're giving some guidance. But you're right. It's not necessarily, you know, like a the classic post World War II managerial style where it's you're going to do this. It's more of a collaboration, and you're collaborating with these groups of supporters and encouraging them and you know motivating them to uh, help your cause.
2: So, give us a, a an example of of something that you've worked on that that helps give some context to um, sort of the the framework that we've outlined here. Yeah.
1: So um, th- uh, there's a couple of them. If I could take one quick step back uh, and just focus a little bit on that, a management approach, like having – you still need the idea. I don't want to downplay that you still need this idea. So an example is a, a client of ours, uh, Notre Dame, that had what's called Notre Dame Day. So this is a single day event to raise money. And the idea came from the university. It's not like they asked the crowd to say, hey, what would be a good way to support the university? The point is there was there was an idea. There was a vision. There was this creative force within the organization. I said, let's get a day where everyone focuses and get everyone to select a program within the university they'd like to support. So the, the crowd part was, okay, you get to choose. Where should we apply the money that is being raised? Through this uh, engagement, where should it go? To which organization? And two things happen there. Number one, the organizations within the university—the different clubs, the different sports groups, the different academic programs—they get to promote themselves. You know, they say, "Hey, you know, this is a great place for you to put your money. Thank you so much for your support." Uh, number one, and number two, all of the people that were participating. They were in complete charge. It's almost like you're a marketing manager and you have a budget, and you're going to say, where should I apply my budget? So that idea that the people who are participating are in charge. And I'd like to introduce a concept here that we haven't talked about yet, but is really critical to uh, the crowdfunding space, and I think it's a big part of the future, and that's a term called gamification. So sometimes people who have heard this term might not completely understand what it means, it doesn't mean take a donation process or a fundraising process and turn it into a game. That That's not the idea of gamification. The idea is how can you take the core elements of games, the things that encourage people to play games, the reason why people like to play games, and apply that to the process you'd like people to do for whatever it is that you're asking for. So the reason why children, for example, love to play these games, these quote-unquote games, is They get rewards. You know, maybe if it's in school, the teacher gives you a star. Or if you're playing, if you're literally playing a sports game, there's a scoreboard. It tells you how many points you have. So these things, more points. uh, Oh, I got a star. Like the idea of a badge. Those give you a little encouragement. They give you some excitement. They give you some enthusiasm. And taking those concepts, applying points to an activity, being able to vote on something as opposed to it, you know, being automat- automatically uh, associated with an event. Like for example, for Notre Dame Day, you being able to pick where it goes, and you have a certain number of points, and you can assign those points. Or having things like leaderboards and badges. So you're a winner, or you're in the top 10 percent, or you know, you're on the leaderboard. That those types of elements that you apply within the crowdfunding process really encourages people to participate. And I know sometimes people talk about, you know, maybe donor fatigue or it's just difficult to get people motivated. This is the way you do it through these techniques, through these gamification techniques. And if you can combine the power of peer-to-peer communication with the incentives of gamification, that's a really powerful combination.
2: And and it creates a stickiness
1: to uh, both the site and the concept.
2: So whether this is done via mobile or or, uh, uh, iPad or uh, a website, um, it gives people a reason to come back. As you said, there's a leaderboard. Did I move up the leaderboard? Did I move down the leaderboard? Um, What can I do today to be part of that? And and that that just creates a stronger sense
1: of belonging
2: and community, right? Right.
1: Yeah, it totally does. And that's why these gamification strategies can be so compelling. And if you combine that, as I said uh, before, it's almost like the people who are participating on your site in these peer-to-peer, you know, these crowdfunding platforms, it's almost as if, um, you know, they're like small marketing people for you. It's like an army of content managers, if you will, as I was describing before with the website. But if you could also give them this little dashboard that says, you're doing great. Uh, if you just do this, this initial bit, this morning, this many more points, or you're this close to the next badge. And it's, once again, I was kind of half-joking about gamification doesn't mean it's necessarily a game. No children love to fill out profiles or you know, uh, invite people to things as, as I'm describing here. But if you know you're going to get more points, if you know that you're going to get the next badge, if you know you're going to get a discount or, you know, whatever that incentive is, you're right. You want to come back and see how are we doing and just to go back to the other yeah, Notre uh, Dame, I'm I'm almost yeah. wondering if there's a
2: because I think it is
1: uh a bit of a misnomer
2: and I think it can throw people off. I'm just I'm trying to think of a, a different way to phrase it than gamification because it does make you feel like, well, okay, then I'm getting into sort of online gaming uh as as exactly. as a concept. Um right. as opposed to this this notion of you know creating strong communities. Uh in, in one of the, the examples I, I might share with our, our readers Uh, or our listeners of of the way that this works is, you know, I'm a a pretty frequent uh, contributor uh, on TripAdvisor. I like the site. Um, It's like you mentioned with Rotten Tomatoes and and others. um, It's a place that I know that I can go and get the insights of others who have been at various locations. Um, Did they like it? Did they not like it? And, And what you learn is that you know, there people see things in different ways, and and one person might have a very bad experience, and the next ten people have a really good experience. So nothing's ever a hundred percent one way or the other. And certainly, if it's a hundred percent negative, you've got to imagine they're not going to stay in business. But one of the ways right. that that you know, because I, I, like most people, I tend to be very busy one of the, the ways that I I am just reminded of uh, to go back and to post something new or to think about where I've been uh, is they have various levels of contributors. And so they periodically remind me, you know, you know for instance, you know, I'm in the top 10 of, you know, my reviews are in the top 10 of those read on TripAdvisor. Okay, well, that that's kind of cool. They tell me how many people have read my, my reviews, which reviews are more popular than others. Uh, and then they have various badges that you know you, you get named a certain kind of contributor or whatever if you post, you know, uh, twelve more or ten more or five more or, or whatever. And so periodically they're they're sort of prompting me to say, hey, we know you like us, um, and maybe there doesn't seem like a reason to come to the site today. Here's a reason we're giving you. And that's the same sort of thing for nonprofits is um, you know, they already support you. Uh, maybe they're already contributors, but this is another way to have a dialogue it's a sort of a dialogue enhancer uh, and it's a way to
1: sort of organize a community of you know super supporters absolutely and uh Ted, if you think about it from the point of view of the chief Chief Marketing Officer at TripAdvisor, you could imagine uh, he or she has a list of all the projects they're working on of course there's going to be stuff on web and email and social media but I can guarantee you there's a considerable amount of time spent on how do we encourage people like Ted Hart to participate on the site. So it's right. like they are looking at you, and of course not as a marketing member of the, uh, of the company, of course not, but they are definitely looking at you as someone we can collaborate with to give you some value, to give the community value, to obviously give the company value. And my sense is over time, more and more of that time that the chief marketing officer is thinking about programs, projects, engagements, you know, et cetera, campaigns are going to be driven towards the crowd. Like, how do I encourage more TED hearts to participate on my website? And when they look at their website, I don't even know if they use WordPress or whatever they use for content contribution, there's definitely a piece of technology that supports people like you to post content, to rate things, you know, et cetera.
2: And that's the concept that we're talking about today here on the nonprofit coaches, how you can take these tools that are now becoming very much the the norm in sort of crowd engagement um, and crowd encouragement um, is how do you – Communicate with a community of people who you know are already supporters when there might not be necessarily something new today, so there's no no earth shattering press release that 's going out from your organizations today, but how do you engage and keep those relationships fresh um, and and keep people connected to your organization? This is a, another tool set, another strategy uh, that 's been developed that you can see across the internet is quite successful. All
1: right. I can give in, a... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I can give a bit of a geeky answer. I'll do it really quickly, too. Uh, when people talk about big data, so we know there's just massive amounts of data that uh, Google stores, and you just I ask yourself, how? How can it store so much data? And back in the day, maybe 20 years ago, the answer for a big technology problem like that was a supercomputer. Maybe you remember that company, Cray, supercomputers. And the idea was have one big, massive computer with a super fast operating system and can process so many teraflops of uh, uh, decisions a second. And it seems like it's a terrific way to try to solve this problem. But there's two major issues with it. Number one, you have a single so- single source of failure. That's if that machine goes down, you're you're out of luck. And number two. In the days we live in, you know, Moore's Law, where things are constantly so gaining in capacity, someone might come to you tomorrow and say, look, we need twice as much, you know, processing as you have now. And, you know, with a supercomputer, it's like I, we already have all of the processing we have. I can't just put another computer here. They're not, it doesn't work that way. So the answer was just distribute all of the content across hundreds of thousands of smaller computers, like a server farm. What you hear about these big, massive warehouses filled with small computers. So that's just terrific. You would need more capacity. Add a hundred more servers. Uh, one goes down, it's no problem. It's easy to back it up uh, and uh, scale that way. But of course, the difference had to be you need an operating system that can communicate with hundreds of thousands of these computers. So the real secret. Isn't this big, powerful computer in the back end like a supercomputer, the power is the operating system that can communicate across all these other computers? So anyway, to bring it back to the chief marketing officer, you kind of have to think how, how do we kind of communicate, encourage, support, collaborate with our community, but in an open way, not in a closed most of the time, when you think community, you think like you have to log in, and it's only the people in the community that can see the information. It's completely externally focused. So that's the way you need to think as a nonprofit. How do I encourage? How do I collaborate? How do I, you know, kind of leverage this crowd to help my organization?
2: And how do I inspire them uh, to really right. be part of the community uh, and to make a difference? We're going to be right back after uh, this break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask John Murcott uh, for sort of the, the top five things that every nonprofit listening today can do uh, to start integrating crowdfunding strategies into their fall campaign. And we will be right back.
4: When you have a great idea and need to work with others to bring it to life, how do you do it? Sometimes it's tough because the people you work with are in different places, with different schedules, using different devices. Google Apps lets you bring ideas to life with others. Here's how. Start with email that offers more. Gmail does more than send and receive emails It connects people and lets you chat instantly while viewing a snapshot of your team's relevant activities and access to everything they've shared with you. With Google Docs, there's only one version for everyone to work on. Share easily with the right people without email attachments or compatibility hassles. And work together on the same Docs at the same time in a way that simply makes sense. Edit and interact easily with integrated social commenting. Google Calendar makes it easy to share schedules and find times to meet, and schedule or update meetings with a few clicks. Everyone can't be in the same place at the same time, But Google Apps lets you work together from any place. With multi-way video chat, you'll feel like you're all in the same room, while screen sharing and integration with Google Docs lets you work with more people from anywhere, on any device, even on your mobile phone or tablet. Work with any team, at any time, from any place, on any device. Google apps work in the future today To learn more go to google.com/apps
2: And don't forget, uh, next week here on the Nonprofit Coach, we have our big annual show. Our producer was on earlier today uh, previewing the fact that next week's show starts at 4 p.m. Eastern, not at 12 p.m. Eastern as usual. Uh, And we will have the launch of uh, the uh, eagerly awaited uh, new Giving USA report here uh, in the United States. So join us next week here on The Nonprofit Coach. You can find us at TedHart.com uh, and uh, listen to all the most up to date information about philanthropy and giving in the United States. Next week, 4 p.m. Eastern, here on The Nonprofit Coach.
0: Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at TedHart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart.
2: And we're back here live uh, with John Murcott, CEO and co-founder of CrowdStir and one of the foremost experts in how you can succeed in crowdfunding. Uh, so, John, looking at the fall campaigns, nonprofit organizations over the next couple of months have a lot of decisions to make in terms of how they are going to engage their communities and how they're going to successfully fundraise
1: for their communities. Where does crowdfunding fit? Sure. I I would say, as a first rule, definitely start small. You know, get comfortable with it. Find something you're you're comfortable with as an organization, uh, so that uh, there's any anxiety that might be coming up from management or concerns. Just start with something uh, that you feel comfortable with, and that thing, this all in particular, would most likely be some type of an event. So I know a lot of times people think of uh, the kind of this peer-to-peer approaches. You know, started with walks and. You know, that was the classic way uh, that people would uh, implement these types of solutions. It works very well for events as well. So if you have a gala, a dinner, you know, some type of an event in the fall, it doesn't have to be a walk. It could be anything. It's the same idea. Number one, you want the people to register, of course. So they're going to go through the registration process. But just ask them that same question. Would you also make a page and help us raise money? And sometimes, as a matter of fact, doing this type of peer-to-peer for a a non-walk or for just a a classic type of event, can do very well for virtual participation because I might not be able to go to your event. You know, that's part of the issue. You were saying, Ted, you're so busy. You can't always make these events. Is there some some other way I can participate? Now, of course, you can give some money, and that's wonderful. But if you could just still make this page that we're describing, this personal page, and reach out and help raise money and go through the gamification uh, as well, but for the specific event, it's, ter- it's a terrific way to leverage the activity and the goals and the timeline and everything for the event, but let people participate uh, that way. Uh, number and, three, and one of, uh, when I'll you're sorry, talking
2: sorry. about events, I was just going to say one of the other things that these sorts of activities can do is, you know, I think we're all used to using websites to buy tickets and sell tables and things like that. But if you have a creative crowdfunding uh, or crowd approach. Um, you could have your table of 8 or 10 and use that online tool that's provided by the nonprofit organization to fill your table. So totally. I know when you know when people buy a table, it's like oh my god, who am I going to get to sit on that table? And you call you know ten people, and some people can and some people can't. But if each of them can go on and they can kind of claim their seats, and so you know we've got six of the eight seats taken. and I only need two more people. You're making it easier for people to do exactly what you want them to do, and that is to fill that table, to sell that table, uh, to as, as you were saying, you know, bid on auction items, things of that sort. So within your organization, you're now creating smart tools that allow people to do exactly what you want them to do without
1: them having to come up with the solutions. Exactly. And it goes, Ted, to what you were saying, too, uh, also about uh, stickiness. So what's a great way to make sure people are going to come back to your event site is, well, I have a table of 10. How many people bought tickets? You know, that's a nice way to encourage people to keep coming back. So anyway, that's, that addresses your um, ongoing uh, interaction. The other uh, number three uh, to consider is I know, of course, we're talking about events that these organizations are going to throw themselves, the gala, the dinner, you know, whatever that activity is. But, of course, when we say event, we can very dramatically broaden the concept of what is an event. It doesn't have to be an event that you're hosting. What if it's an event that someone else wants to host on your behalf? And we often call this third-party fundraising which I know is not the best term because any kind of peer-to-peer fundraising is third-party. So if I'm registering for your uh, you know, fall gala and then I make a page and I'm asking some other people to participate, that is third-party fundraising. So I get it. You know, Peer-to-peer is, by its very nature, third-party fundraising. But so what if there's a local, municip- a local group, uh, some kind of a community uh, organization that cares about your um, organization and they like to have an event? and they'd like to sell tickets to that event, but they don't want to collect the money at the door and then somehow, you know, get you the money. They would rather just do it online. You know, can I just sell tickets, but it's on, it goes into your account? So you can think of your site, as I was saying before, it's not just about the crowd, so these individuals that are making these pages and raising money for you, but it also could be organizations that have a couple more tools. It's not just about making a page. It might be about making what we call a microsite. So... It's a site where you can actually sell tickets and say, okay, yeah, it's $50 per person. And the branding would still be very clear. It's going to go to the ultimate nonprofit. It has some branding for the organization hosting the event, but the, the general branding is for your organization. So it it it, it, tur- it extends the concept of your website is not just about where you put stuff. It's also where these individuals make pages and tell their friends. It's also a place where people host their own events and then those events are selling tickets and getting people to register. So it's just kind of ex- extending the concept uh, to a, a, bigger, a bigger market. Uh, I have two more. And leveraging
2: yeah. the community yeah, that you, uh, I, I do you want you to finish the five, yeah. uh, but that, yeah. it's about yeah. leveraging the work that you've been able to do because the, the other part of this equation for nonprofit organizations is they simply don't have enough money to hire the number of staff people that it would take to do all of this work themselves, to interact with exactly. each person individually. So without providing these tools, the community that you've built is only going to
1: reach a certain capacity that you can support. Right, exactly. And if you could support both the individuals, so it's kind of this idea of a small army or a small crowd supporting your cause. If you could also have it be, it's a smaller group, but another group of people that actually want to host their own event, you know, on your fundraising, your peer-to-peer fundraising platform, you know, that really opens up a lot of opportunities. So So the the remainder of your options, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, number four is just there are other technologies, of course, and other processes involved in order to support this. So the crowd is wonderful, and, you know, there's a lot of power there, and all the things we discussed are terrific. But it doesn't mean that there's not additional work, effort, kind of encouragement, as we were saying before. And there's two ways you do that. Number one is, you know, the people in your organization, the marketing people, et cetera, you know, they're continuing to reach out, promote social media and otherwise, you know, just to keep the ball rolling and get, you know, maybe send updates and get people excited. But there's also a concept called drip marketing. And it's an email tool, but it's not like a blast email tool. Normally, when we think of MailChimp or Constant Contact or these various email tools, it's more about I send out a big blast to say, hey, the event's in two months. And of course, that's important, and you're always going to be doing that. Drip marketing refers to after someone takes an action. As part of your event, so they registered or they made a donation or they made a page or whatever, or they shared it, whatever that action is, the drip marketing is an automated uh, tool that uh, uses email to communicate a message to encourage people to do whatever the next step is. So if they registered, you would encourage people to invite someone else. If they invited someone else, you would encourage them to make a donation. There's all these different you know, marketing people think of segments. So think of these as segments of participants on the site. Some people have participated by registering. Some have donated. Some have done both. And what you do is you create these uh, email templates that match each one of those segments, and you create rules around them. So a rule would be two days after someone uh, registers but hasn't uh, donated yet, I want to send this message. And it's small. This is not a long email. It's not like your blast email where you're, going through all the details of the event. It's just a small little reminder to thank them for what they've done so far and to encourage them to take the next step. And then as people are participating, they're making updates, they're making changes, they're sending more invites, et and then those uh, then their profile, if you will, the segment association changes, and they're getting different emails over time. And the point is a lot of times uh, you would be surprised how many emails are being sent by the strip marketing tool to encourage people to do this. And that's what kind of helps keep the enthusiasm and that uh, interaction going.
2: Every message doesn't have to be your message. You don't have to be sending out every email. And the point that you made before, which you you and I have have lectured before, and there's a a concept that we've discussed many times here on the show, uh, and that's what I call the Aunt Mabel effect. Uh, you know, right. How do you get Aunt Mabel to talk to the people that she knows? How do you get Aunt Mabel to take your content and send it to people who trust her and know her and care about her? And birds of a feather tend to flock together. So right. your best supporters are very likely to know and be able to identify your next best supporter.
1: Right. Yep, absolutely. And then a the final thing to uh, to consider is just in general uh, – kind of reconsider or kind of broaden the concept of analytics. Because most of the time, uh, and very logically so, when you think about an event, end of year or in the fall or what have you, the most obvious analytics are going to be how many people are attending and how much money did we raise. And that's important. That's never going to change. Those are the two most critical pieces of information. But when you're doing more of this peer-to-peer and crowd-oriented fundraising, now the analytics could be much different. How many, how many uh, shares were there? How many posts were there? How many tweets were there? How many emails were sent by the end user? So you can have a much more interesting and rich analytics. Uh, some people kind of refer it uh, as a social graph. You can get just a much more deeper understanding of what was the real participation around this event. And you can get some very interesting insights into the way people kind of interact with the organization and what works and what doesn't work when you're when you're doing these types of events?
2: And what's the outcome of this? Do you think? I mean, is is this just more work, <laughs> or or right. is uh, is this truly a, a a more engaged community?
1: Right. So on the one hand, the advantage, as you were kind of saying, turning your supporters into promoters. On the one hand it's uh, it's less work because now you're relying on a, a a crowd of people to do stuff that you used to do, send follow-up reminders, reach out to their friends, help raise some money. So on the one hand, uh, it, it removes some of the work. On the other hand, though, it's a different type of work. So you're not maybe doing as much of the grunt, you know, I've got to send out another email blast or I have to. You know, do, you know, I gotta you know talk to these people, and as you were saying before, like how am I gonna get this table of ten? I gotta call everybody. There's less, of this, so there's less of that type of work, but admittedly, there's there's more of the planning, there's more of the big picture, there's more kind of that, uh, you know, how do we do that encouragement and that collaboration? So it's a different type of work, but the the hope and the promise of it is, if you can apply your marketing expertise to that type of activity, basically turning on these other people to help support you, then it's you're going to get a much stronger result from the amount of time and effort you put into it. And
2: in, in looking at the statistics, what are the things that, that you think are are most meaningful? I and I know you're familiar with with clout um, is is that one um, way that nonprofits can be monitoring if they're making progress?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, and that kind of goes along the lines of what I was saying. It's a different way of doing an analysis, right? It's a networking approach, and whether you're using a third-party tool, which is perfectly fine, or you're building your own internal metrics. So you're saying, you know, wow we added another 5,000 uh, supporters or another 5,000 fans or however you have these other goals in addition, of course, to this is how much we're trying to raise and this is how many people are attending. You can uh, really expand the types of uh, criteria that you're trying to, uh, to track.
2: And, and what do you find are the the best um, uh,
1: client prospects
2: for the work that you do? I mean, of those that are listening, who are the ones who should be stepping to the front of the line and saying, you know, I, I'm really sort of uniquely qualified or ready to make good use of this?
1: Mayor, uh, we've had success across the board. So there's no, you know, type of organization or even size. Sometimes even a small organization, we're really just talking about the delta. You know, this is what we were doing before, this is what we can be doing now. So even a small organization you know, could have some modest improvements but have a dramatic impact on the top or bottom line. Whereas maybe a big organization, you know, really it's difficult to move the needle. If they're so big and they're raising so much money, you know, it's just a little more difficult to get those types of returns. So even smaller organizations can do quite well. I will tell you one of the industries that we're seeing a lot of traction is around universities and education. Because on the one hand, definitely with the student body and alumni, People understand kind of social media. They all have profiles on LinkedIn or Facebook. They're very familiar with this world. But the organizations, the universities, are really new to this idea of peer-to-peer, like this idea of having a quote-unquote profile page, but it's on our site, and it's in our branding, and it's part of our campaign, and it's connected to all of our donations. It's not like something we're building on Facebook. It's something that's, if you will, it's, it's part of our own uh, website, so that's a bit uh, new to them, and uh, we're seeing a lot of traction there.
2: So, is, is part of this um, is sort of a reaction to um, you know the success of Facebook and uh, uh, LinkedIn and other social media uh, uh, websites and services that are out there, where these tools have been proven, uh, but nonprofits are not necessarily maximizing. Uh, their utilization of these tools.
1: Yeah, so they're definitely successful because the activity going on these sites is pretty mind-boggling, and, you know, Facebook in particular. I mean, who knows? There have been some articles recently that say, you know, in terms of search, you know, people searching for things, it might even replace the uh, Google because it's just so much valuable uh, network information uh, within Facebook. Like if I'm looking for a restaurant, what is the best way to find that search result? Wouldn't it make sense that, you know, restaurants that my friend like, for example? So those are super, it's been proven. These are very viral. These are very successful ways to communicate. The only problem is, you know, Snapchat, Facebook, you know, these other social-oriented applications. They don't want you to leave the site. So the problem is, like, oh, this is great. We're getting a lot of interest and in activity and uh, collaboration, but... Uh, Facebook is actively trying to prevent people from leaving their site to go to your site and make a donation or register for the event or do something else so it's you're kind of stuck between a platform that you know is super successful and uh, viral and has all this you know the the crowd oriented uh, elements we 're talking about, but they don 't want people to leave so in our opinion, you still leverage and interact and communicate excuse me, communicate on these platforms. But you have to bring some of the functionality, this peer-to-peer functionality, to your website, to your branding, so that it's all integrated with your registration process, your donation process, all of your marketing, messaging, and branding. So you're just taking a a piece of the way that Facebook and these other tools work so well and uh, plug it into your own website, if you will.
2: And and as we've said here on this show many times, uh, this is not a new concept. Uh, These are tools that uh, nonprofit organizations can now utilize uh, that are sort of enterprise-level tools that might not have been available in the past. But the reality here is the reason that it works is that people like to connect with other people. like People like to be part of a community. And that goes back to the very roots of nonprofit organizations and philanthropic service and bringing people together is that people do want to combine their efforts with others and to know that there is a greater good that is created from doing that. And that's the essence of crowdfunding, isn't it?
1: yeah and you know there are many flavors of this, so and a lot of it started with crowd sourcing, which is the most generic kind of approach to this. Give a problem to the crowd uh, crowdfunding, and it's not as you know, it's not just for nonprofits, but there's Indiegogo and Kickstarter, you know it's taking that concept and funding businesses, if you will. So the concept is definitely there as a general premise that this is a good way to solve a problem and the, the problem of course, for nonprofits is how do we raise more money?
2: And part of the way that you raise more money is to connect with people uh who care about you uh, and yep. and birds of a feather tend to flock together uh john we're uh, we're just getting ready to uh, wrap up here just a couple of minutes left here on the show um, Just make sure that uh, the listeners uh, have a thumbnail on what
1: Crowdster is
2: and how can they reach you
1: yep so the uh the website is crowdster it's a crowd dot com and uh, my email is just my name, john, j0810, at com, And I'd be happy to talk to anyone. We do crowdfunding, so what we've been talking about, that's our core, our core platform.
2: John Mercott, CEO and co-founder of Crowdster, thank you for being our guest here. On the Nonprofit Coach. Don't forget next week, big, big show, but 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, uh, and that is the official launch of the Giving USA report here in the United States. We will see you next week, 4 p.m. Eastern, here on the Nonprofit Coach.
0: You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcasts at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach.
3: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?